Heather Langenkamp, and you're listening to Geeks of the Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com. And now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings fellow insomniacs and welcome to a very special edition of the Creature Features podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I'm your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and in this episode, you know, I have the opportunity to speak with somebody that has just been all over the place in the world of uh, cinema and horror, and he has just so many stories to tell. I had initially heard him speak for the very first time. I I, I was familiar with his work, but the first time I had actually uh, gotten to hear him talk was on another show on our website, Elm Street Radio, and uh, he absolutely crushed it. I felt like there was a lot of kinship that could be, you know, plundered, and I was absolutely right. Um, this is not the traditional style of interview that I do typically, but, you know, they don't all have to be the same, and this one I feel is a lot of fucking fun. Uh, this is a one-on-one conversation that starts kind of, uh, just, just starts. So, uh, without any further ado, enough of me jaw flapping. I'm going to now turn it over to my conversation with production designer Nick Strawn on the Creature Features podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com, Stitcher, and Hello, darling. Hello, love. What can I help you with? Oh, I was thinking that maybe you and I could talk for about maybe half an hour to 45 minutes about your career. I have a career? (laughs) My! Marvelous! I can't even believe that shit. Oh, I do declare I'm getting the vapors just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, um, so this is what happens, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> this is, this is not traditional. Well, I guess it is. I, I'm, I'm not a traditional kind of guy. I, I had my wife propose to me. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. I was married in my living room by the Reverend Joseph Goldwine. Okay. He was four foot eleven. Oh, nice. We, I, I was wearing my Levi's. My wife was wearing a uh, Mickey Mouse T-shirt. Uh, the one of the witnesses was a raccoon, and we inked his little paw and put it on the marriage license. Which, <laughs> which, you, I actually thought that maybe I had told that story so many times that it was a lie, but recently I had to prove it, and it's true. Even I went, oh my god. Holy shit, there's a raccoon paw on my fucking marriage there's, certificate. There's a raccoon paw on my fucking marriage license. How do you like that? That's, that's um, fucking great, man. And, and he was he was traditional. You know, I mean, called him up and gave him 80 bucks, right? The raccoon? He, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he wasn't one of those uptown expensive raccoons. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so this... This guy, this guy, Doctor Joseph Goldwine, and he did uh, divorces and weddings, and and he comes out and he's got this little white suit on, you know, mm -hmm. four foot eleven. He <laughs> has, so he has. There's only the two of us, uh, in my living room, right? And and he's got this this Bible that was so fucking big, I kept thinking he was going to tilt forward. Right, <laughs> and he takes a Bible out, and, and he says, "You know, to the the masses that are uh, gathered here." And we're looking around, going, hey, "We, you know." You pre-wrote this, didn't you, dude? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this isn't tailored just for us, right? <laughs> Goes through the whole thing, and then we played at the very end. Instead of. Uh, Instead of like the marriage march, uh -huh. all we had was uh, an Elvis Presley 45 of Hunka Hunka Burning Love that we played on a little kid's record player. That's fucking better. I mean, right? Uh, I mean, dude, right? I, legitimately, right? I had wanted to be married by an Elvis impersonator, and my wife, <laughs> she was she was absolutely down to do it, but then she came down with a bad case of pregnant. So. <laughs> Well, she would have a place to put the book, you know? Yeah, it, you, you know, Las Vegas, smoke everywhere, pregnant wife. It was like, eh, probably not the best place to do that. So, uh, <laughs> probably not. We got married uh, June 27th, 2008, which uh, I know you probably wouldn't know this, but that was easily the gayest day of the year. And, and what I mean by that is... Uh, Marriage, same-sex marriage, had become legal for a very oh. small window of time. Oh, that's God, that's right. That was like b b before the Supreme Court took it over to make a new decision, and they shut it all down, right? Yes, and so all of these, uh, like we we got married at a courthouse um, again because you know that's just that's what you do when it's not about the marriage, it's or the wedding, it's about the marriage, right. and. Um, Literally in the courthouse, there it was packed, like packed to the brim, of people, you know, trying to get married before the government overturned this this law. Right, and right. So I, I literally say it whenever I talk about, you know, my wedding day. I got married on the gayest day of the year, which the I love. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, we were in Oakland, and at oh, the, you were the courthouse. Oakland, so you were in Northern California. Where, oh yeah, where oh, it yeah. was a huge deal right yes and you know just a stone's throw away from san francisco where you know it is i feel the mecca of homosexuality which i again also love um so you know <laughs> <It's> so great <laughs> i i'm standing out in front of the courthouse nervous as shit i mean i shouldn't be nervous because you know i'm i'm tying myself to the person that I love more than anybody, my best friend in the entire world, but I, you know, we kind of come up with this idea that we were all going to wear, you know those fucking Venetian blind glasses 
the ones that look no, like... No, the Elton, the, the, John, the, the Elton John used them, too. They, right. Yeah, yeah where yeah, they have the lines in, inside the of them. The lines in them, right, yeah. Uh, so I'm standing out in front of this courthouse, smoking a cigarette, trying to relax, and her dad is like this, you know, uh, he was like a martial arts master. You know, he, he trained with, uh, I think, Dick Slater or somebody, somebody big like that that was like a big boxing trainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And he's also in, like, the Hells Angels and all this shit. And, like, just a big, mean, scary fucking dude. He rolls up on the courthouse, in front of the courthouse, pulls up onto the curve on, on his fucking motorcycle and hands me <laughs> this gigantic bag of weed. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just like, all right, that didn't help. I, I fucking <laughs> grab it as quickly as I can and shove it in my pocket. So... In my wedding photos, you might see a bulge, and it's not a bulge of excitement. It is a bulge of marijuana just protruding from the side of my hip. And uh, I got married with a big-ass bag of weed in my pocket, which is you know, on the oh, gayest geez. day in history. <laughs> the gayest day in history. Oh, that's, you know what, that's the only way that my story could have been better is that I had, like, done it on the gayest day. But, you know... This was 1980, and the gayest day was a long ways away. Yeah, and yeah, you, know, <laughs> you, you could just make it the gayest day. You know, that's that's the thing. Everybody can make any day the gayest day ever. You just it's true. You, you, it, you know, gay can mean happy, and yeah. for you, it was the gayest day ever. You were, it, it, it's the happiest and, and, moment you know, of your I'm, life. I'm probably. old enough to remember that actually. Yeah, <laughs> gay <see>? meant happy. <laughs> Me too. I, that's, I, I mean, you know, I'm only 18. I'm a young, impressionable child, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is very strange. This is a lot like talking to me. For some reason, even your fucking voice is an awful is awfully close to me, and your speech patterns are very close to mine. I, you know what? I feel like I'm looking in a mirror myself, and except <laughs> that one of us. I, I'm assuming not me because I'm in a room full of mascot costumes and looking at toys for films that I know that you had a hand in. Uh, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> a surprising number of them, I was there. <laughs> and, and, and that's that's the thing that's really interesting about... Uh, oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mick Strawn. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Best intro I've done so far. <laughs> just, just right, right. It's, 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 it's about bowing to the conventional. <laughs> uh, but... I, looking through your IMDb, it's like a, like a who's who of my childhood and everything that I've loved about filmmaking. <laughs> and, and, and when somebody says that to you, it's like, fuck, dude, why are you dating me, bro? <laughs> but literally, dude, uh, like, you have been a part of some of the greatest films and television programs that absolutely encapsulate what it is for my obsession with entertainment and cinema and and that's not even a joke and you know a, a lot of the times you know when when people look at films they they look at it on the surface you know they look at the actors playing the roles a lot of the times they don't even look at the directors or the writers the, or the this... people that stand in between in between the camera and my work yeah Exactly. You know, the, yeah. the, the ones that they take away, their takeaway, their main takeaway is the performance of the film. And right. there's, there's so many more facets of what it takes to make something incredible and, and masterful and artistic. You know, and that's not to take away from the performances because performances without, you know, like pretty backgrounds and, and, you know, these fantastical elements in art, um, they're great, but without that performance, you know, it's it's all one big melting pot of entertainment. That that's what makes cinema stand out from like reading a book. You know, when you read a book or you look at you know that form of entertainment, somebody tells you a story. You know, you're you're able to be entertained and you're able to be taken uh, mentally on this journey. But there's there's something about cinema that is so much more gratifying and it is a, a combination of so many different elements uh, you know uh, 
a director being able to evoke something out of an actor, an actor to be able to convey something that's, you know, tangible for an audience to grasp onto, but more so, you know, when you're setting a stage and you're you're creating a world, the the tangibility of of the art that involves or you know embraces the entire project and and i'm talking specifically like about something like nightmare on elm street 3 or nightmare on elm street 4 both of those films on Uh. on the surface are you know everybody knows who freddy is Everybody knew who Nancy was. Was rest in peace, Nancy. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, there's there's something to be said about the artistry that comes into creating this world that these characters inhabit. And a lot of the times, the directors get that credit, but there's an entire team of creative minds that help facilitate the director's vision. And you have been on that forefront, creating these worlds for these directors to lead these actors down this path for us as an audience to enjoy. And being there, you've been able to experience kind of the truth of what making a film is. And, you know, it's far from the glamour and the glitz of, you know, the, the stories that an actor will tell you. And, oh know, yeah, well it's, we were we were telling our own stories and 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 thanks for I, I think you put more thought into it than I have. I just did what I did because it was because I thought it was fucking cool and I was having fun. Yeah, I, I always overthink things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of times I would I, I would, uh, a lot of times you were asked. Uh, you know, like what? What is your motivation? You know, here and 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 uh, I always uh, gave the same answer, and 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 it's still true to this day. Is because I think it's really fucking cool. And <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. It... Sometimes that was my argument. That was the that was the beginning and ending of it. Say, really, <laughs> really, you think that, huh? So, so this is the question that I that I want to, you know, put on you, is sure. what was the first thing that you worked on? The first thing I worked on. That's really weird. My resume. Oh, that's the best. That's the best. The first, the first thing I ever created was a resume that had five years. <laughs> and, and then I took that. I, 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 I'll refine the question since you're going to be the gen of this conversation. Yeah. Um, what was the that's, first that's, film or production that you oh, were involved no. in? I mean, the first, the first thing I did, the first thing I had, in all honesty, was a resume that had that I put five years on it, five years of projects. That I knew that it existed, but I had I had heard rumors and people talk about these projects, so I just wrote them all down and put it on a resume, and I would hand it to people, and they say, "Oh, well, you you already know what you're doing." Oh <laughs> yeah, 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 hell, I do. <laughs> you, you're freaking bad, I do. And you had actually started in like construction, correct? I did, yeah. So, is it a natural progression from construction to constructing sets and uh, coming up with these techniques and ideas? Because when you came up in in cinema, it was before the time of computer-generated images. Yes, it was. was, You know what? The thing, (laughs) the weird thing about it is I I came up in a time, my, my father was a, a contractor mm-hmm. and my mother was a probation officer but she was also very very interested in the arts so and and i was the classic middle child and i and i would take a little bit from column a and a little bit from column b and and use the one to influence the other and when i got into the motion picture business i just was like oh well i know how to build things and i certainly know how i want things to look and 
I don't know if it's still the same way, but back then it was it was like if you had the balls to do it, <laughs> you could step up and go, well, well, I could do that. Absolutely. Or, it, so, um, and, and I, I didn't even do it that way. I, I, I did it more like this. You know what? I have an idea for that. Or I would actually, <laughs> or I would actually say, you know, this other guy had an idea for that, which would be a complete and total fabrication. This other guy had an idea for that, and I think that we could modify it to make it work for this situation. And then we would go from there. And I basically just li- I kept lying and lying and lying. Until, fake it until you make it. I faked it until I made it, and, and and I don't think anybody is more of an example of that than I am. Uh, the and looking at your IMDb, the, the earliest thing that I was able to grasp, and uh, again, uh, like I said, just my childhood is screaming out loud right now. Oh my fucking god! But it was <laughs> breaking to electric boogaloo. Uh, this is this is amazing. Of of course, I. I had honestly already been working for probably five years by the time I do, did that, and and but but just as carpenter here than a carpenter there, and and electric tube, uh, breaking to electric boogaloo. Breaking to uh, electric boogaloo w- w- was one of those films that my daughter recently, one of my daughters, when she was like a twenty three, she went to a a, a breaking to party themed party (laughs) and i was like and she calls me up and she goes i can't believe that we're watching the end of this film and your name is there when did you do that (laughs) i don't even remember well i think it was the 80s dear (laughs) it was the 80s it was a weird time (laughs) i have to tell you the, the only thing i remember about that about that film i mean uh, the clearest thing that I can remember about that film was where we were filming. And every time I went out to my car, another window was broken. Something else was taken out of the inside. I mean, I had a car that had a radio and, you know, it had like hubcaps and it had like all <laughs> these cool things. And by the end of the show, I don't think I had any windows or doors that w- I had an ignition system that was essentially the same screwdriver that the guy who tried to rip it off the last time left in it you know? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it fucking picked me clean <laughs> uh, it was like every time I walked back to my car I was like oh god no not again and, and that's that's one of the funniest things is because they they did that film and they made it look so colorful and, and fun and vibrant but they're shooting in the hood <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, being being a African American kid, and in the eighties, it it was one of those movies that absolutely was like, specifically because uh, when I came up, I my dad was a big cinephile, and so I just kind of you know by default became a cinephile because I was in the room, and yeah, um, right, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, this is this. It's one of those movies that really stuck out stuck out for me, especially like. You know, the dancing on the ceiling scene, which was later used in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. And, right. and, you know, that that whole segment is where it's a, it's a colorful, campy, weird film. The fact that they use that element in that film, because they're both 84, and so they, they're neck oh, and neck right. of who did it first. But it was, st- it was, st- the, the, the house, the room, that we built, we took it out of the rig, still on that on that stage, SNA Studios, and put our room into that um, device. So you Jim guys Doyle, did Jim use Doyle's the rig device. from Nightmare. Oh yeah, no, literally we pulled one out and put the other room in. That's amazing. That's and, amazing. And we had this guy called Zodiac. That's the guy that paint, did the painting. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the um, the graffiti paint. Yeah. Now this guy, God, oh man, he he only had like like two or three brain cells left to rub together because of all the spray paint. Because of all the spray paint. Oh my God, this 
listen, imagine this. We bought the guy a case and a half of spray paint at different colors, right? Da, 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 da. And, and we had these ventilation fans and all this stuff like this. And he, and he shows up and his, he has these little, little slit eyes, you know, that just, he, and he didn't seem to be able to get enough light in. I couldn't even understand it. And, and he goes, maybe he got a bag from his father-in-law too. Um, (laughs) quite possibly, but (laughs) just one. (laughs) So I, and then, and then he, we had one room that was on the stage and one room that was up in the, uh, that was up in the device. Right. Uh And what we did is we went in and we put panels inside of the room so that he could paint those panels. And then we took those panels off and he painted the room again. And we took all those panels and put them up in the, you know, up in the uh, spinning device. And what he would do is he would get inside of this. I think it was 10 by 10 by maybe seven and a half, eight feet high. He got inside that little fake garage. He closed the door and we didn't see him for like 10 hours. And then he comes out and he goes, okay, well, let's switch the panels out. And we took those panels out and we closed it, the door for another 10 hours and he goes away again and paints it. <laughs> wow. So this dude yeah. is just like, wow. <laughs> he's, uh, he's living in Krylon. Like, oh my God. It's like, I, you needed an oxygen mask just to open the door. Jesus fucking and, Christ. And then, I, and then I find all these years later that that's become... Yeah, I, 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 sometimes I feel kind of like Zelig having, you know, stepped into the, like all these weird places or I, I guess Zelig's more recent version would be Forrest Gump. Uh, or the Watcher from the Marvel comics. Right. Just in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> at the right time, completely by accident. <laughs> but... Literally, I'm I'm just gonna run off a couple of things that you've you've touched and you've been on set set for, because it's it's just baffling to me how how amazing your career is. Obviously, uh, everybody that is listening to this more than likely has heard the Elm Street Radio interview that you did, which was right. fantastic. Uh, you know where you talked about working on Elm Street three and four. Uh, right. Four is. And, and I've said this of the sequels, my absolute favorite. Uh, but also, three, three is the better one. And four is my favorite. Yeah, four is four has a special place in my heart. But um, the hidden Hercules: The Legendary Journeys. Uh, I, I could I could go on and on about Hercules. Uh, but then there's things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, Freddy's Nightmares, which is uh, something that I was like a religion for me when I was a kid, <laughs> it, like, it, and in a really weird way, uh, Blade, which, you know, you could say what you want about, you know, everything that Blade was, because Blade was, when it, when it was released, it was something to behold, and, and there are so many, like, set pieces that are just phenomenal, specifically, um, the library in Blade with the, you know, portly creature, uh, Candyman, um, the Fantastic Four, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, and I and I really want to pick your brain about that. But I want to I want to list a couple more things that you were involved in. Uh, Mortal Kombat, the Buffy the I Vampire Scorp- Slayer I, movie. Uh, Mortal Kombat, my one of my proudest sets is Scorpion's Lair, and and yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's. And that original Mortal Kombat, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, if you look at it as a movie, it's, eh, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's so visually fucking cool, and it, and it, again, is creating these worlds. Critters 2, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, again, fucking religion, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's so much that you've been a part of, and it's just, it's phenomenal, and, you know, Yes, you worked in the world of horror, but it's that's not that's not your only you know claim to fame. You, you weren't even on Kazam. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter, my daughter, uh, 
uh, I I needed I needed to make candy bars that would flutter that would flutter down out of the ceiling when Kazan does the magic candy bar thing. Mm-hmm. He, I'm gonna make it rain candy bars, right? Yes. <laughs> and so so one one of my daughters one of my daughters first jobs was to uh, she I, I had her make a little business and she and uh, ten of her friends uh, we rented a little uh, a little uh, warehouse space for her and she and ten friends took uh, candy bar labels and stuffed little pieces of foam in them and then shut them <laughs> now did they eat the candy bars no there were no candy <laughs> it's because because I didn't want to. You, you know, didn't want to use any logos I, or anything I, for copyrights well, or whatever. That's right, but I also didn't want a you know to try and deal with a ton of candy in an old warehouse. You makes know? sense. That makes absolute sense, especially. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so you know it's it's been a weird life. Yeah, yeah. I, I had can, a lot of fun. I could say so. Um, Let's talk, uh, because I would mentioned it when I was kind of running through some of the things that you have done uh, that I absolutely love, and we'll talk about Freddy, but then I really want to get to Fantastic Four, because okay. that, 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 is, that is a special thing, and I, and I know you've got some stories for that. Um, but you, you get brought in on Nightmare on Elm Street, and you had told the story um, on Elm Street Radio in a conversation that took place on an elevator. Oh, right, with Jerry, yeah. Now, when you're when you're brought into the world of Nightmare on Elm Street, was it just kind of, um, you know, just a, a foregone conclusion that because, hey, we're working on this television program, well, fucking mix coming. Because you've, you've already worked on creating the look and the world of Freddy Krueger uh, on the... Two films, uh, and I know that uh, Freddy's Nightmares started around the time that they were filming uh, Dream Master. Right, right. So they're they're kind of running concurrently, yeah. Well, they weren't. They weren't. Not for us. For us, uh, we finished Nightmare on Elm Street four, and a week later, the TV series started filming. Okay, so it was. And we just walked. Yeah, we we kind of walked from one and took all of our tools and and stupid ideas and and went to a uh, little tiny uh, 10,000 square foot warehouse up in the valley. And the, the thing that I really love about Freddy's Nightmares is that you get these these filmmakers, these directors that have. You know, have their hands on some of horror history's greatest fucking works. And really, we did, didn't we? <laughs> you, you, like the first episode, No More Mr. Nice Guys, directed by you know the Toby late Hooper. great Toby Hooper. And so anyway, so anyway, kid, so anyway, kid. Uh, really, uh, so so anyway, kid. I was thinking. Well, what I was thinking was, uh, um, well, anyway, kid. Um, um, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, that's right. I was. Um, um, uh, you fucking kids. <laughs> That's Toby, huh? Oh God, yes. I, I, I was really. That was gonna be my question: is, is what was his his take? Because, in, in my opinion, and I've said this before on uh, different interviews or conversations, uh, no more Mister Nice Guy is the definitive backstory to Freddy Krueger, and, and I think that you know, for that being the first episode, it, it hits really hard. It hits all the marks that it should hit. And then yeah. there's there's the moment um, right after the courthouse sequence where he arrives at the boiler room. And it just, it, it feels bigger than the rest of the show. So was, was that kind of a conscious decision to, you know, set this off with, you know, just the biggest, most elaborate production of the <laughs> Yeah, series. well, honestly, honestly, uh, we set, uh, I think his, his, his corner of it was a set on our, in our little stage where we did the burn. Mm-hmm. Um, or did we do the, uh, yeah, it's hard to remember. 
Um, but but we we did start on a location, and I think the only locations that we ever did on that show literally were on that first uh, that first one. Yeah, because there's that big wide of him getting out of the truck and and right, prancing right. around the boiler room and everything, and on yeah, his way yeah. into the boiler room. On his way into the boiler room, yeah, it was really big. And then when he gets into the boiler room itself, I think that that was our first shot, our first shots that were in the warehouse. And you have to remember that at that time, that was all we used the warehouse for, mm-hmm. was those shots, because that was the first one. And then eventually we built out a, a standing house that, you know, stood in for every house that existed, uh, that we painted, you know, <laughs> it, it, it must have weighed, uh, probably, probably gained 10 tons in weight over the, uh, year just, uh, just in paint. <laughs> it's like putting that sticker on every year. You just put it on oh the old God. sticker. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So it's just, boy, that, that, that was a grueling show. That, <laughs> that show was just, <laughs> I, I, you know, we did in eight months, we did, 290 something sets and we did probably two to three hundred setups for effects mm. and i was running both both of those at the same time i was running the sets and the effects and uh the interstitials were all shot at once or was that over the course of the time that you were shooting the show what was what was show, shot the, at once? the the freddy stuff where he would do oh, his the intros freddy, and outros. well we had we had the you know, we had his little uh, hallway of dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, with the French expressionistic look that actually Toby Hooker, uh, Toby, Toby Hooker, <laughs> Toby, <laughs> Toby used that room for the for all the cutaways to Freddie. Mm-hmm. You know, if you notice that is 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 Freddie always had like those distorted set pieces behind him uh, for every shot that you saw him him in except for the wide shot where he burned down there. Yeah. Right? Which I thought was kind of interesting because uh, th- th- there was there was little that you could do be- having such a compressed schedule and, and, you know, and and honestly dealing with a lighting crew that was from TV. Um, uh, at least one of the I- interesting decisions that he made had to do with almost every time that we saw freddy he was in that distorted hallway mm-hmm. you know even for a reverse that was like outside and stuff so I, I thought that that really kind of worked as an idea and and we had so much fun making the uh the glove with the uh d- dental tools in it <laughs> uh to to this day i i i i had that in my office there up until the last day that we were moving out, uh, and I was going to take it home and I was going to keep it forever. And this guy came in and said that there was a, uh, he was working for a charity for, uh, oh, what was it? Autistic, maybe autistic children mm. or something like that. And he says, do we, do you have anything that would just sell really well at this charity and stuff? And I was like, Son of a bitch. Here. (laughs) Because the weird thing about it was when he came, when he was standing in front of me at my desk, that (laughs) claw was sitting on the desk. Yeah, it's sitting there looking pretty. You're very proud of it. Occasionally you pet it. (laughs) Yeah. My precious. My precious. My precious. (laughs) So what could I say? I mean, you know, what could I fucking say? Yeah, Fine, take it. Fine, fine. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I've really never been. I, I've never been much of a keeper of uh, of things. And, and and besides, I was always thinking to myself, well, Sunday is a designer. I'm I'm gonna get my big break, and I'll be known forever. You know, uh, maybe I could do something you know really spectacular, like ordinary people or something like that. You know, <laughs> where they're gonna pay me like a real designer. Instead, I do all these cheesy. Uh, horror films, right? You know, yeah. and then come to wake up, you know, thirty years later, and the only thing that anybody remembers that anybody did are those all those cheesy horror, horror things. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, well, you know. You have no idea. I tell you, man. Friends, how many friends would snub me back then saying, well, yeah, yeah, but Mick only works on horror films. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, though. The, Nobody that's remembers the thing. all those motherfuckers. That's the thing, though, is that horror, there's, there's much more passion behind a horror fan than somebody that loves, like, Woody Allen movies. And here's the other thing is, is we weren't thinking at the time in terms of these, you know, um, in terms of like the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the, uh, and the revised and the, the new, uh, the new one and the, 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 the on down the line. We weren't thinking in terms of them being franchises. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Nightmare on the Street 3 was a gamble because up until that point, you had the main film that you did, and then you had the second one that you made that always made like diminishing a third returns. Of what the, yeah, right. It, it was the way diminishing return, and nobody cared that much about it, so they wouldn't do that good of a job on it. And so then you get Nightmare on the Street too, and and we went in <laughs> to try. Did I insult Nightmare on the Street? No, no. I'm sure. I'm sure Mark wouldn't listen to this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Mark. Anyway, he, he's great. No, he, he is a great guy. Yeah. There's no doubt. But but the thing is, is is nobody did the third one. Mm-hmm. The diminishing turns. They wouldn't even. It wouldn't even make enough money to cover the craft service budget, right? And we went in to try and change that, and that was the whole point. Everybody was busting their ass on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. We were going to do something different. We were going to, you know? And then by the time we did Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the, <laughs> the only people that we had in competition with us was us. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, well, uh, also, uh, Friday the 13th was also kind of ramping into that. But, uh, you know, that's that's the thing is the 80s was kind of this excessive age and yes. there, there was there was this lust for more and more and you know and you it guys were better. there to facilitate and and that's absolutely are you calling, what, wait are you calling me facilitator yeah oh yeah you're an enabler oh. <laughs> an enabler wow. sir wow I, I i i think i i just got modern slam <laughs> Oh shit! I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> uh, but, God damn it! Uh, however, See, this is now. Now this is what happened on that interview on Elm Street. The thing is, is I tend to be kind of a funny guy, right? Yeah. And so I, I'm doing an interview on Elm Street with the with the two of them, right? You know, with Paige and DeAndre, right? Yeah. And it's it's and I start hearing this click and I would talk for a while and then there'd be a click and then they would come back in and they would say something and then all of a sudden they get the end of saying something and and the click would go out and I I don't I don't mute my laughs I'm just gonna laugh the interview gets over and I go hey what was that click that I kept hearing she says oh god yeah Sorry, you see, the two of us are on two different lines, and the thing is, is we found that when you started, our mics started to feed back because we would start laughing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, so I am, turn, I'm not nearly as professional as as the Springwood Sisterhood. Uh, that's not me, guy. I, I will, I will fucking fall over laughing. <laughs> I, I'll laugh at my own fucking jokes. That's oh, that's well. just the way that it is. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Me too, because I'm a funny goddamn guy. Yeah, fucking a. Uh, yeah, fucking a. But uh, just uh, as an aside, uh, talking about Nightmare Two, you also worked on The Hidden, which was directed by Jack Shoulder, which is right. a fantastic Jack. movie. Jack is an amazing guy. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about Fantastic Four. I, I know that there are some stories there, and I know you are a storyteller, so I'm going to... I'm not going to mute my mic, 
but I am going to <laughs> give the floor to you. Please tell me how that came to be, and and one or two of the weirdest things that took place. Because I know, and everybody knows kind of the story that, you know, Roger Corman and New World wanted to maintain the rights to the film, so they had to make a film. Right. Uh, they so... had to make a film for it. And, and you've seen Doomed? Mm-hmm. You've seen Doomed, mm-hmm. and and Doomed has everybody. You, you know, I went into that film without any illusions, which I don't understand. That maybe they had illusions quite a bit, and I love Oli Sassoon. I mean, he was he was fucking awesome. Uh, he's a very funny guy. He's really easy to work with, and 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 I, I love working with him. But I was told in the very beginning that this was just going to happen we had to do a decent enough film to be able to release so that they couldn't release it so that they would have leverage to get the rights back again mm-hmm. that was as i as i understood it and we were working in this place that <laughs> i know that it's really well known you know i i know that that you know everybody in the world came out of corman's uh uh, sawmill down there, but boy, that place was a pit. <laughs> oh, it's like you know, you 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 get splinters up your feet. It's like there was always, you know, there was there were sections in there like where water would pool down underneath, underneath where they had laid boards over it, mm-hmm. and, and and literally that was the floor that you were uh, walking on as you go across the center of the stage. You're like. You know this is kind of a problem, right? You know this is a death trap, right? Yeah, Everybody... this is a death trap, right? <laughs> I always no, said this. No. <laughs> I, I always said this about about that place. You know, people would say, "Well, my crew would say, well, you know, what if there's a fire or something like that?'" And I'd say, "Well, if there's a fire, what you should do is get outside as soon as you possibly can, and then yell fire." <laughs> <laughs> And, then, and my crew would ask me, you say, well, that doesn't sound right. You don't want to do that. <laughs> I say, if you see fire, you yell fire. And I go, well, yeah, but <laughs> do you really need the competition? <laughs> you don't got to be faster than the bear. You have to be yeah, faster exactly. than the other guy. <laughs> exactly, because there's the Incredible Hulk guy. That guy's fucking big. You see, you can grab these little tiny, these little tiny, a 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 little it was so insane. At one point, we had to go until the end of the year, mm-hmm. right? By contract, we had to have half of the half of the um, shooting schedule had to be in '92, and then we could finish it in '93. But for contractual obligation, we had to be halfway done by '92, and so. We worked right up until, uh, the, like the last damn moment of the year, and then we and then everybody put we hot put hot set stickers on everything, and we went away for five days. We come back, and Corman, Corman <laughs> had already shot like two films. <laughs> In the same spaces. <laughs> he, had, he had painted over everything. <laughs> he painted over everything and shot like his four day wonder films in there in the five days that we were out. <laughs> five days? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> the thing is, is the mental ability to be a filmmaker and walk across a hot set line. It's like. <laughs> One guy, they, they, he was like another art director, right? And he'd come in, and he'd repaint the sets. You know, he didn't care. Mm. Other, he, I said, "How can you cross a hot set line?" And he just picked up the tape and walked underneath, and it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh. Roger tells oh, me to well, do it. I'm yeah, fucking okay, doing it. Well, that. <laughs> I remember there was one time where we had to do the newspaper spin-ins. You remember the... the yeah. I mean, this is how limited we were on equipment. We had all these newspaper spin-ins, right? Uh-huh. And and I just offhand, they go, well, you, I said, well, we'll have to do that as a reverse pull because we're going to put it... We're gonna put the paper at its final position, right? Mm-hmm. We're just gonna have a piece of dubatine. We'll have the paper uh, on our rig, you know. That's and by rig, I mean you know on a variable speed drill. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say a record paper. player. <laughs> Turn the rig on. That's a Bach and Decker rig. Okay. Anyway, so we would put, we would find the final position, and then pull out. And, and let it spin in reverse. Mm-hmm. That way, you know what your po- final position is. You know, you know how it's going to land, and then you just turn the film around. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm just like offhandedly saying, saying, "Well, and this is how we're going to do that." And and the camera guy goes, "We can't do that." Well, what do you mean we can't do that? Well, we don't have a reverse mag. I said, "You don't have a reverse mag." Mm. I said, turn the camera up, upside down. <laughs> and he goes, turn the camera upside down? Yeah. I said, turn the camera upside down and roll it. I said, that will make us, it'll, that will be the same as a reverse mag. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's not right. I go, <laughs> yeah, no, it is right. That That's the way it works. I mean, <laughs> I said, if you have to, we'll just start with, the position upside down uh, on the uh, on the rig, the, the rig, on the drill. Yes, yes. <laughs> we'll just start upside down, and then you go ahead and film it. And we'll, when we reverse the tape, it'll go to the right place. And she goes, that's not, a, that's not like a reverse bag. And I go, well, I, wait a minute. Look, it'll work. It'll just work. Just trust me. So then... Everybody started to argue with me. And I argued with everybody that was on the goddamn lot. And then here's the thing. Everybody was on the lot, you know? I mean, and and by lot... <laughs> <laughs> and, and by lot, I mean, put put in your mind, not a, 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 not a uh, back lot of a, of a film studio. Think of your backyard with a tool shed. I was thinking storage unit. <laughs> yeah, storage unit. <laughs> storage unit and the space out in front of it okay <laughs> and so the thing is is wherever i went everybody was arguing with me and i was the second unit director on i said finally i said okay finally i said okay i i went into editing and i said give me a piece of film uh what do you want on? i said I, I don't care just just give me a, give me a piece of film and so they gave me a piece of exposed developed film that was you know maybe two feet long mm. And then, I, and then I went like this. I said, sure, it works. Watch this. And then I took the film and I ran it in front of my eyes. Right? I said, that's normal. And then I turned the film over. And I said, and that's in reverse. And I did it just by turning it over. And I ran that, just zipped it in front of my eyes. Right? Now, the thing is, I was playing a game of the Emperor's New Clothes. Mm-hmm. The Emperor's got clothes, right? Because... You can't tell anything from that. Ex- as an example. <laughs> so at the end of the day, yeah, so I, I went to the first person that argued with me in the day and I did that little demonstration and I handed him the film. I didn't think about it again. At the end of the day, <laughs> my friend who's was my construction coordinator at the time comes up and he says, okay. The stupidest thing has been going around on this entire <laughs> almost a hundred percent sure that you had something to do with it. He says, There's a piece of film out there that everybody is running back and forth in front of their eyes and not convincing themselves of something every time they do it. That's you, right? It's because I've seen you do this shit before and I know I know when I'm I know absolutely when you're pulling shit on somebody. And I go, yeah, did that really get around? Oh, <laughs> shit. He goes, there isn't, you can oh. ask, there's nobody on this lot that hasn't done that. And then nodded their head and go, wow, he's right. Oh, fucking tears. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, I was right. 
Oh my god. <laughs> that we're 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 that is the, the best way to end this and uh we're we're gonna stop it right there. I, I want you to now before we get out of here, uh just okay. tell people where they can find you and Uh-oh. uh tell them about some of your upcoming events. Let's see. Um I- I'm on Facebook. I'm um you can always leave me a, a nasty message and I will return in kind. <laughs> and uh, you'll bring a piece of film and make them run it up and down. Yeah, <laughs> and by the way <laughs> Amaze your friends and continue your enemies. Um I will be uh, I'm gonna be hanging out at Scarefest with the people from Fredheads. Yes. I am going to uh I I'm I going to do everything I can to be one of those guys that gets in between me and the work I do and uh, get my face in there for um, all posterity or um, prosthesis or what was it? <laughs> posthumous. For all, all posthumous. Oh, all shit. <laughs> so, um, so I, I'm also going to be at the horror, uh, the Idaho Horror Film Festival. And I've got something up in Spokane with a bunch of my friends of mine called Fan Nexus, where we'll be running. I'm going to run some sequences from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and some from Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And um, just tell people uh, how they were done and um, how stupid it got, how stupid I got, and how stupid I get. That's fucking brilliant. I, I, I dig the shit out of that. And you guys, if you've listened to this and you've gotten this far, you already know this dude's a talent. If you're in the areas that these events are happening, go out of your way to be a part of these events because we only crack the surface of the amount of stories that he has. And you will be thrilled and amazed and your stomach will hurt by the end of it. Uh, <laughs> But I am, I am so you, in tears. So I'm poisoned. So now I'm poisoned. In literal tears. In the best kind of poison, though, Mick. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> the best. And, uh, you know, if you are here just for Mick, and you have enjoyed the show, first of all, I don't blame you, and thank you. Uh, but you want to find out more? You can do that in a couple of different ways. You can do that by liking us on Facebook facebook.com forward slash creature pod by following us on twitter and instagram at creature pod um thank you very much for being on the show this is this is easily in my top five interviews now i'm not going to tell you where in the top five because i don't want you to get an ego uh but (laughs) top five (laughs) i don't need you to go hollywood on me mick oh yeah i wouldn't want to do that (laughs) Yeah. Start asking for specific colors of M and M's or anything like that. <laughs> we, we can't. We can't have that. Yeah, uh, right. No, <laughs> no, we wouldn't want to see that. For a but for McStrawd and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Listen with someone you trust.